Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. It's good to see everybody here. We've had a couple of speakers here. We've had our teaching pastor, Rasul, and we had Dr. Ireland the week before, and we've just been continuing on in this series And this series is about identity. Now, we've been looking at excerpts and different parts of the book of Ephesians, but we've been walking through this idea of identity and how we understand ourselves. Because in getting to know ourselves, getting to know other people, the reality is that whether we like it or not, we bring baggage from our past into every church, every relationship, every job we are in. We bring the past with us. Our conflict resolution, our anger management, our marriage expectations, our parenting, our work ethic, our motivation, they all are just echoes of the past as we live in our reality of now. We are functioning according to the dynamics of our family origin, whether we like it or not. And so in this series, we are slowly trying to replace that with the dynamics within the family of God, the new family of Jesus, the new patterns and behaviors and habits that Jesus wants in our lives, amen? Amen. And we wanna break those habits and those chains that we've seen from our past. We want the new principles operating within inside of us. In my family, in the picture there, it's my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, Justice Roberson, my grandfather, obviously, James T. Roberson Sr., my father, James T. Roberson Jr., and myself. That picture was taken in Moss Point, Mississippi. I was about two years old there. And then, you know, in being two, you don't remember much from that time. I have a two-year-old now. But the, the funny thing is now I'm 42, 42 years old. Yeah, praise God. <laughs> And I think that as you get older, you take on more responsibilities. People take you more seriously. They see the gray in your beard. You know, a couple years before, you would get coffee, and they say, hey, man, cool, thanks. Then you get coffee, and they go, thank you, sir. And you're like, I I am a sir. Thank you. Praise God. I am somebody. You get older. And because we are functioning in the reality of new responsibilities, We take on the posture of being this age. But, you know, like a tree, if you cut that tree open, you see these growth circles, and you can see what the tree was like when it was young, what that circle was like. It's always there. Even when it has a circle going wider, the the smaller circle is there. And one of the realities about getting older is that sometimes you see yourself in that age, but the reality is that even though I'm 42, I'm still that same two-year-old there being held by my dad. I still have moments that I remember from my youth that are still walking with me, and I love my family. I love my dad. I'm proud to be James T. Roberson III. Don't get it twisted. I bring good things with me. I come from good stock, 
But the truth is I learned patterns, behaviors, and habits that can wreck relationships today. I've got things that I carry with me from my home. Things that, I'm, that are working on me. Exodus, Exodus 34, six and seven says, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth. Verse seven, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished. Look what he says there, that, that the truth is, is that he's faithful to generation to generation, that when you are a blessing to your kids, that blessing goes down generation to generation, that when you're benevolent and you're caring and you're speaking into your life, it, speaking into your kid's life, it goes down generation to generation. That's a good thing, but it says... Bringing the fathers, it goes on to say, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Blessings move throughout generations, but so do cursings. Sin, it comes to the next generation. We talked about genograms last time, how you can see family patterns and you can look in different families and you can see anger and frustration and divorce and you can see all these different patterns that broke up families. And this is what it says here that he will not leave the guilty unpunished but he's bringing the father's iniquity. That word there essentially means it will visit you. It will knock on your door. You don't have to let it come inside your new spiritual home being in Christ but it will visit you. And there are certain patterns and habits that visited you this week that you came into a situation this week and you had an issue with somebody and wrath knocked at your door. And you said, just go away, go away. I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. And wrath looked at the window and said, I can handle it. I can help. And you feel this tension because there are issues that you bring with you. The mature in Christ know good and well that lust may knock at their door and it knocked at their parents' door and it knocked at their uncle's door and adultery knocks at the door. The mature learn to not let those things into their new house in Christ. Uh, but the immature, you know, they're like my daughters. My daughters, you know how you let your kids, you tell them, I'm, I'm leaving now. Don't let, don't, don't let nobody come in through this door. So you come back and check and you knock. And my middle daughter's like, hey, and she opens up the door. <laughs> As if it was a murder, she'd be like, kill me. You know, she's just constant. She don't care. The mature are very careful about what they let into their space. But the immature, they, they allow other things in. And so you're in between that because let's be honest, we're kind of mature, but we're kind of immature too, amen? Like we're, we're working it out. We're working out our salvation. We're growing. And so we're spiritually, yes, we are in Christ and we're fighting things, but we're also in this world and we're trying to find our identity and figure things out. And so, yes, you're in Christ, but you know, you've been, you've been going to the gym. You started a, started a little keto 
And you know, you, you're cute. And you look in the mirror sometimes and you bite your lip. <laughs> and you're like, I'm cute. That's cool, that's cool, because I'm in Christ and I'm cute. And, and you were in school, you were in school, and you worked hard in school, and you're like, I'm in Christ, but I'm smart. You know, you worked hard on your job. You're a singer, you're an actor, you're a dancer, you're a leader. I'm in Christ, and I'm a leader. That's okay, because you're in Christ, and you're going to have an identity that's understood in this world. But the problem is, is that as time goes on, sometimes as we grow and we get applause from men, sometimes we forget the in Christ part. And we, we just look in the mirror at ourselves and we say, I'm cute. Oh, people know I'm cute. I'm smart. You see how many people, when I said something, they responded, I'm so smart. Oh, I'm so wise the way I'm able to break things down. I'm such a good leader. And you begin to find your identity and how you're performing. You're looking in the mirror. And as you look in this mirror, Unfortunately, when you begin to move out of this space of finding your identity in Christ, even though you're a Christian, even though you're in Christ and you're in this spiritual house, it's as like this house can be haunted. You see, in Christ, feel the scary music coming, huh? In Christ, you go into this mirror and you're like, I'm strong but you drop the in Christ part. And you look at yourself and you say, I'm cute, I'm strong, I'm wise, yeah. And then you hear it, it's like creaks. It's like the house is creaking. You ever been in a house where you know, no, you know nobody else is in there but you hear it creak? You hear this creaking and quietly in the house you hear, I'm beautiful, but not enough. Look around. Who was that? <laughs> Hold on, let me get in the gym. <laughs> I'm beautiful. I'm sexy. I know I am. I'm telling you. But you hear it again. Not enough. So you get I'm, I'm smart, right? So I'm going to get this education. I'm going to be smart. And I got the degree and now I got the job and I got an award on my job. And you go into your office and you sit there and it's real quiet and people leave out and you're working hard. And you tell yourself, I'm good at what I do, right? And you're haunted because you hear, not enough. You're not enough. You're not smart enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're haunted. You're haunted by your insecurities. And they're, shh, they're real quiet. And just like a haunted house that's really not haunted, but you're just afraid, the reason why sometimes we're in our house and we're afraid is not because there's anything to be afraid in the house but because we brought those fears in there with us. And we have drug our insecurities into this relationship. And because you struggle with insecurity, you get defensive. 
You guard and protect those things. You feel like you should be more celebrated, like more people should know your name, that more accolades, more, and you need it, and it feeds you and feeds you and feeds you, but it's never enough. So you hide and you isolate. You emotionally withdraw. You spiritually withdraw. And it doesn't matter how many people applaud you. You still feel like it's not enough. But thanks be to Christ Jesus. Because God has not called us to be in Christ and insecure at the same time. Amen? He has a plan for us to fight our insecurities, amen? And the way that we fight our insecurities, it's crazy because we've been talking about a haunted house, but the way we fight our insecurities in this house that's not really haunted is really by getting acquainted with a ghost. It's by getting to know the Holy Spirit more and allowing him to govern our lives. Jesus, he's not comfortable with you being an insecure person. It may be cool in the culture, it may be cool with your friends, but it's not cool with Jesus because he died that you would be confident in him, that you would be strong in him, that you'd have faith in him. And tonight, we're going we're gonna to fight against our insecurities, amen? We're not going to live in those things. We're not going to be defined by those things. The context of Ephesians, the text we've been looking in, it's amazing because Paul oftentimes would write a letter to a particular community. And in writing that letter, it's funny, he would be answering a problem. So if you look in the book of 1 Corinthians or even 2 Corinthians, uh, Philippians, other books, there are uh, an answer that he's trying to give. But in this book, he's not necessarily responding to an issue. What he's actually doing is he's speaking into what he thinks every Christian should know. You see, many of his letters would travel regionally, and this is one of those that would travel regionally. Therefore, he wasn't speaking just to Ephesus. He was speaking to the entire region. We can then assume then that Paul wanted this to be basic Christian ideas. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ, for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, this idea of being adopted as sons. Adoption in the Bible is based in a strong Roman culture that would actually have adoptions. But adoptions at that time were not based upon the fact that a child was cute or anything, but they got adopted because oftentimes when you got adopted, you were an adult male. And the reason why they would have an adult male is because women were not allowed to be the heads of homes at all or manage money at all, so it was an oppressive society. So they only had men overseeing money. Therefore, the only time you would adopt is when you had an inheritance you wanted to give over to someone because you were gonna die and you had no, you had no rightful heir. Therefore, sonship is the imagery given as adoption. So that's why he says you have been adopted as sons. It's this idea that you have been given this position. The reality in therefore is that in a house, 
there were two people that would come into the house that weren't born of the house. It would be a slave or an adopted son. A slave knew good and well that as they come into this house, they're only there because they're only as good as their skill set. They could be let go at any time. But the adopted son would come in as well, wanting to take care of this inheritance. And sometimes the adopted son, knowing that they were not, a, their, their uh, natural child would often feel like, maybe I'm like that slave. Maybe you'll get tired of me. Maybe I'm not useful. Augustine said that a slave was nothing more than a living tool, that you could let them go. And sometimes the son would struggle to believe, maybe I'm like that slave. If the master gets tired of me, he'll let me go. Paul is trying to fight against this belief in helping us understand we've been adopted. He says, therefore, in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, to cross-reference this, he says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So on the one side, you see what he says there? On the one side, slavery. What's the indication of slavery? Fear. What is the indication of sonship? Crying out. And so he says, if you are a son, you cry out. If you're a child, you interrupt, you get in the way. You make clear, I deserve your attention. That's what kids do professionally. They believe I have a right to your attention. And so I'm going to keep bothering you, keep bothering you, keep bothering you. I told you guys this the other week. I could be in the back after church in the most deep spiritual conversation ever. Somebody comes up to me, Pastor Jays, I don't know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm talking to him. I'm like, you know what? God loves you. God cares for you. You know what? In the name of Jesus, I want to pray over you. And my daughter will come up to me. Tap, 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 tap. Yes, baby. Kagasai. <laughs> No, I'm talking to this woman. She's falling apart, praise God. But right now, in the name of Jesus, God loves you. You're the head, not the tail. Hallelujah. I'm praying over you. Oh, God, right now. Tap, 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 tap. No, you can't go talk to your mom. So like I said, God loves you. He cares for you right now in the name of Jesus. Tap, tap, tap. Outside, outside, outside. They interrupt, praise God. Kids love to interrupt. I've never been more interrupted till I had kids. You single now? You're single now because you can have conversations now. Wait till you have kids. You're, all your conversations get intercepted by children. They love to get in the way of a good conversation. The deeper it is, the more right they feel like they have to get in the way, praise God. That's what kids do. And he says, you have not really understood your sonship until you feel like you can bother me. Until you feel like you can cry out and interrupt me. You don't get it. You don't get how much we are connected. You still operate like a slave, not wanting to get in the way, presuming I can get tired of you. And so what... The scriptures go on to say that is Romans 8, 16, the next verse in Romans. It says, the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we 
are God's children. Now, if you, if you look there, look there. It is talking dualistically there because it's saying that we have a spirit, we have a conscious mind that understands, interprets, and see, receives things happening in this world. We have a conscious mind. But then it says the spirit himself, meaning the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So when you became a Christian, the spirit of God came in your life and you spiritually became connected with God. Therefore, that's why uh, uh, Rasul preached on last week the fact that we are no longer in Adam, but in Christ. Spiritually, you are seated at the right hand of the Father right now. So therefore, you are in Christ and Christ is in you spiritually. Therefore, we, we can say is when you are interpreting things in the world, you can testify to what's happening in front of you, but the Spirit of God is also interpreting what's happening in your life as well. The Spirit of God is giving God credit for things happening in your life, helping you understand what God is doing and helping you understand that you're God's child. The Spirit's gonna let you know what God's doing. That's why when you read the scriptures, things pop off the page. It's not because you're so smart and deep. It's because the Spirit of God is enhancing the text. It's highlighting things. Selling <laughs> so their first service, um, if you're overly Christian, this analogy might hurt your heart. But um, So when I got back from college, um, I, was, they were at, I was supposed to lead a Bible study. Um, and... Uh, so I went home for the summer, and so I was preparing to lead this Bible study when I, when I went back on campus. Um, but I had a problem, man. I couldn't stop smoking weed. I was just, I, lo- I was just like, I used to smoke weed to do everything. I smoked weed. It was like, I was like, I'm hungry. So why don't we get high? It'd be, it'd be better if we're high. That was my, that was my phrase. It was just like everything's better when you smoke. It's just the way I was living my life. Amen. And so, so, so I was like, okay, I'm, a, I'm like, I love the Lord. But I enjoy getting high, and I don't know how to like, how does it, and I felt like if I was leading a Bible study, I shouldn't smoke. Like, that was just kind of where I was at. So I was thinking to myself, okay, I don't know how to not do this, because I've always been doing this. So one night, my mom, she goes, she, she was actually going to Bible study at her church. So, you know, her and all the aunties get together, and they're just praying and whatnot. And I was like, ah, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. I'm going to stay home. All right, cool. So I stay home, and that's... French for I'm going to get high while you're gone. <laughs> and so she leaves and I, I stay at the house. So I'm there and, I, you know, my mom might have even been praying for me, right? She's there and I'm saying to myself, in a month or two, I have to go back to campus and like lead people and I smoke and I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to stop. And so there I am out on the deck with the Lord, having a prayer, a, a blunt-filled, spirit-filled prayer, right? <laughs> so here I am in front, like I'm outside, and I'm like, God, you know, I just... <laughs> I don't think I can stop, God. I just, I just need, you to, I need you to break this habit. Because <laughs> it's just... Father, would you just help me? Now, I promise you, this is, I'm not even exaggerating. So I, I literally, I'm like, God, I need help. 
while on my deck smoking a blunt, a whole bunch of bees come out of nowhere. True story. So I'm like, oh my God, and I throw the blunt, and I'm running. Um, you know, you know what you do when you see the flies, you're just like everywhere and you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And so I run, right? I run and I'm just like, oh gosh, I get away from all those bees. I look around and I'm just like, oh man, where's my blunt? <laughs> so I get on the ground and I'm looking for this, and I, ser- I searched high and low for that thing. And I, I looked and looked and looked and I could not find it. But you know what I also couldn't find? My desire to smoke anymore. God, God had delivered me from smoking. And it was amazing. And I'm not saying every time you pray, God does. Wouldn't that be awesome if God did that every time? It's like, you know, it's like a text message, like whoop, and then God just does it. But, but that's not the way it always works. But that, for that thing right there, if I was going to move on, I needed God to do it. And this is what I'm saying. In my conscious state, I understood it. But the, when, I, when that happened, the spirit of God was like, mm-hmm, that, w- that was Jesus that did that. The spirit of God, you know what he did? He testified. He gave evidence. He said that was not coincidence. God did that. God had something to say to you. And so this is what the Spirit's role is. He is there to testify to God's presence in your life, to make you aware that you're his child, that you're provided for, that he's caring for you. He is, therefore, a witness. The reason why this is difficult and, and, and well, it's necessary because walking in our identity as Christians is difficult. And he uses this imagery of adoption. Now, even earthly adoption can be difficult. A child, a friend of mine has two kids. And what's crazy is that the two kids look like the other kids. The, 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 they, they have four other kids and then they have two that they adopted. So six kids all together. The two kids look like the other four kids. They look like their parents. Their parents are very loving, very kind, very benevolent. But the dad told me once, it's taken a while for my kids to feel like I'm their father. Even in earthly adoption. And the reason why that is, is because If a child is old enough to remember, they know parents can leave. They know that relationships sometimes don't endure, and you learn it at a very fragile age. And as we are in Christ, we still are operating from our broken past of trying to get through performance and feeling like we are truly accepted and truly adopted by God that we don't have to perform. And in real adoption, in actual adoption or earthly adoption, kids don't perform. Parents just decide. They look at a picture. They walk in a room. And somehow there's this mysterious thing where they decide. Wouldn't that be horrible if kids had to perform to get adopted? Like, you know how, like, if America's got talent, they have, like, kids get adopted? And kids are on there doing the running man, and they're doing the snake, and, like, they're doing the Millie Rock, and it's like, pick me, and it'd be horrible, right? 
You'd be like, that'd be a horrible show. To be cho- chosen based upon your performance. If you perform to get adopted, you would believe that your performance can also get you rejected. And this is why we understand that we are saved not by performance, but by grace. And God is trying to drill that home in our minds. And so listen, look, look then at what the Spirit's role in our life is. Look in Ephesians 1, 13. It says, in him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation when you believe. Look in verse 14. The Holy Spirit is your down payment of, of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So do this with me. We're gonna work backwards. So go to that last part where it says glory. We're gonna work backwards to the text. So look there. It's saying that we all this has happened by the way of the Holy Spirit to the praise of his glory. So the end game of all of what God is doing in your life is his glory. The gifts he's given you, the skills he's given you, the place that he placed you is for his glory, the praise of his glory. Now rewind back. And he lets us know until the redemption of his possession, we are God's precious possession. And one day we will be redeemed fully when we are with Christ in heaven, with him all day. All the joy, all the patience, all the love, streets of gold, Tears wiped away, it's going to be banging. Amen? Amen. But this is what he says. The fullness of all that, he says in verse 14, rewinding back, is an inheritance. It's an inheritance that we will receive fully one day. Sonship, as I explained before, was a picture of you now being a rightful heir to wealth. And you therefore will manage that inheritance. The imagery he is given here is that we will inherit all that we need, everything that we could ever want fully when we meet him on that day. We experiencing it somewhat now, but fully on that day. We'll have all the security we could possibly want, all the love we could possibly want, all the relationship we could possibly want. Now, our problem is the word inheritance means nothing to most of us in this room because half of our parents are broke. (laughs) Now, if my dad died tomorrow. I will most likely, broken up between three kids, I will be in a better position than I was the day before financially on some level. But I ain't quitting my job. I'm still going to work. I'm not rich. He's not rich. And some of us, it's not even a question. Like what? You know, you're going to probably spend more money on funerals. You're not getting nothing from that, right? It's like, well, there's some unused lotto tickets and some chicken wings. I mean, what, is, what do we really have here? What am I really going to get, right? So there's nothing. So that's why when you see inheritance, it's like, oh, yeah, that's spiritual. No, there's actual people that are going to get an inheritance. You just don't realize it, right? This is the, so this is what's crazy. This is what's crazy. There are people who financially are getting by check to check. But when their parents die, they're going to be rich. 
Let me say that again. Amen, amen. There are people who are functionally broke but futuristically rich. Okay? And the reason why he said this is an inheritance is because what he is telling you is that even though you may feel like your life has insufficient funds, you are rich. That you, and what he's saying is you've got more than enough. You have an inheritance on high and no circumstance, no no matter how broke it may be, you are rich and God has everything you could possibly imagine waiting for you. The analogy just doesn't work with us. We just don't get it. We just don't see it. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine your parents didn't give you everything, but they had everything. They didn't give you everything, but they have everything. Can't make rent. Like, I can't make rent. Tag. But I know in about a year or two. (laughs) Right? You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't you be like that? That's how I'd be. I don't know. I don't even know. I'm making this up. I don't know nobody like this, amen. But I'm just saying, if I knew that I was going to get paid, what would tomorrow really be like? Why would I even be afraid knowing I had riches just waiting? I'd have to work out some spiritual things because if my dad like got sick, I'd be like, you sick, daddy? Oh, I'm sad. Or I'm not sad. Like, I'd have to work through that. I'm just saying, that's where I'm at with Jesus, okay? But anyway, I know, but y'all understood it. I know, it's like, that's horrible, but I understand. Rent is difficult. So if you circle back, look back, he says, that is our inheritance. He is our inheritance. Now look, or we have an inheritance rather. The Holy Spirit then is the down payment. He is making a great point here. He's saying that the Holy Spirit is functioning like this Greek word, arabon, arabon. It's the same word that would be used for engagement ring. It's the same word that would be used for uh, earnest money. It's the same word that would be used as a pledge. It's saying I'm giving you something. It's, it's the same concept of putting stuff on layaway. Did that help you? Did that help you? Is it? <laughs> Folks was like, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. Layaway, got it. It's this idea that I give you something valuable so you know I'm good for it. I was a security guard at a turkey plant, Harrisonburg, Virginia. Wampler Turkey was the place. My job was just to write names down as they came in. It was my only job. I was there all day. No internet, no cell phones. Amen? All right? Attention span was... Amazing, okay? Reading all day. I'm in there, and oftentimes there would be this one spot that people want to go to. They'd want to go to the big boss's office. And if you went to his office, we'd have to take your ID. We'd have to take your license. And one time, somebody would be like, man, why do you want my license? 
It's like, well, you can't walk around in there. You're not a security. I just can't let you walk around. They're like, why would giving me your life, why would I, me giving you, you my license make sure I'm not going to just walk around? I was like, because I know you'll come back for it. People come back for what they view as valuable. You see, and so this is what has happened. When he says it's a down payment, do you know his down payment? A person. His down payment was the spirit of the living God living inside of you. Every time you get convicted by the Holy Spirit, that is evidence of your inheritance. It reminds you that there's something greater, something grander. There's a more beautiful space you'll be in because the spirit of God is there to tell you, yes, there's more to God. There's more in heaven with him. He is our down payment of our inheritance. And so if you circle back up, he says, in him, verse 13, in him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth. And so in verse 13, he's coming back to this idea of the Holy Spirit, and he's saying that you've been sealed in the Holy Spirit. The the concept of being sealed has two main ideas. If you look in, if you were to, <clears throat> you just write these verses down. If you look in Matthew 27, verses, verse, uh, verse 66, the tomb of Jesus was secured and was sealed by putting guards around it, meaning it was supposed to be shut, closed. Nothing gets in, nothing gets out. A second meaning of being sealed is like an insignia or a brand. Revelation 7.3 says where the seal of God is put on the forehead of God's servants is to protect them from the wrath to come. So the seal imagery was one of being guarded and the second was symbolic. This comes together in one idea of how uh, messages were passed along. Oftentimes, there would be an envelope, and you would put the letter in the envelope, and when you closed that letter, they would take melted wax, put it on top of the, the, uh, the letter, and once they would do it, they would seal it. Thank you. They would seal it. And they would put on there an insignia, and the insignia was an indication that this was my letter. And the seal was saying, you can't get in it. This idea of a seal is saying that God has sealed our faith shut, that we are secure in him. And it is also saying, you are my possession, that no one else can identify you as theirs. So he seals us shut and he gives us this sign of authenticity, of knowing that we're his. What do you feel secure about? What makes you feel secure? When you look in the mirror and you feel more confident, what is it that you stare at? What is it about you that makes you feel that you can make it through your days? Life is unstable. 
and everything in life, we will soon find out is unreliable. Your health, you look good. Keep working out. Keep, keep doing, keep being gluten-free. But your health, I mean, is that, is that guaranteed? Your job, your education, are any of these things guaranteed? Your security, therefore, is unstable if it's on anything that is made in this temporal world. Our security must have a greater and grander and more elevated reality. Jesus gives us this picture of how he makes us secure. In John 10, verses 27 through 29, he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than them all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. No one can get my children away from me. I'm holding them. I'm securing them. I'm caring for them. And they can't get away. When my daughters were younger, they loved to walk to school with daddy. In fact, they would beg me, please, please, daddy, hold, let's hold hands as we cross the street. Then my kids got a little older. We started walking across the street together. First few months, it was cool. And then we would walk across the street and they'd see one of their friends and I would have their hand and I'd slowly feel their hand moving away and I'm reaching for them and they're trying to wring their hand away. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? They act like I'm a leper or something. Like two years ago, I was your hero. Now, like unclean, unclean. You know what I'm saying? What just happened? And you know what I did? As my daughter's trying to get her arm away, you take the fat, you know, the meaty part of that arm. You just like, come here, girl. Huh? You gonna walk the streets and walk them? You gonna walk them? Right? Because you're mine. And yeah, I don't, I don't care what your friends think. And you know what the scripture says? Look here, verse 28. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No will snatch them out of what? My hand. Verse 29. My father who has given to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And the imagery is like when my daughters used to walk with my wife and I walking hand in hand. And as we try to wring our hands out and walk into these other images of who we could be. God doesn't let us go. You see, the picture that I showed you earlier of when I was a kid, you are still that child. And sometimes you may not realize it, but you don't just need to be secure in Christ through words. Oftentimes we need a fresh touch from Jesus, knowing that he's holding us, 
And as we hear these creepy sounds of insecurity telling us we're not enough, you know what the truth is? You know what the real truth is? You know how you deal with insecurity? <laughs> of course you're not enough. Are you kidding me? Well, you're the best. Oh, you're, you're that amazing? You try to keep all those dangerous sounds out about what you could be and what you're not? No. You're, you're, you're good. But you're not all that. You're a child. Right now, we're potty training, amen? Anybody who's ever been through that, you're warriors. You're warriors. My house looks like a zoo. There's stuff everywhere, right? It's crazy. And could you imagine me walking up to my daughter as she's just literally just doing her thing everywhere, just in freedom. She's free in Christ, right? She's doing her thing everywhere. Could you imagine me walking up to my daughter and being like, you're not enough. You got to get yourself together. My daughter would be like, of course I'm not enough. You're enough. You take care of me. You hold me. I need you. I, I, didn't, I didn't come into this world having it together. I need a father to hold me. I know you're strong. I know you're gifted. I know you're talented. But you are still a child. And you need to operate in your childlike state before your God. And let him hold you. Let him carry you. And you can tell God, I'm not enough. And God whispers in your ear, I'm enough. I'll always be enough. And some of you are haunted. You're haunted by your past. And you're haunted by your fears and your weaknesses. Nah. No. No. Not in Christ. We don't let our fears dominate us. We don't let our fears define us. We walk in the countenance of the Holy Spirit and we know good and well, I am God's child and he is enough. And we walk in freedom. Yo, to be in Christ and to be insecure is an oxymoron. I want to be everything God's calling me to be and I don't want to walk in insecurity. Tonight, we are eternally secure and we are temporally secure because the Spirit of God seals us. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are more than enough, God. Jesus, you are more than enough. And we are stronger in you. Gracious God, would you be 
the confidence that I can't get in myself, would you be all the confidence I could ever need? And I pray that we would walk in that, that I just could be a child before you and allow you to hold me where I am. In Jesus' name. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.